0: Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. Well, our text this morning is a story that Many of us kind of miss along the way, and that is that uh, Jesus, after after the temptation, started his ministry, started healing people and preaching, and he came out of the wilderness and went to other places, to Galilee, around Galilee, Capernaum, etc., and he was doing his ministry and he was building a huge reputation for himself, and then he decided to go home. Which was hometown of Nazareth, where everyone knew him. They knew who he was, they knew his family, uh, their kids grew up with Jesus and they all played together and typical little community. But now they when he returns, he's got a reputation. Before he was a just a young man in the home, in the community working for his dad and probably taking over his dad's work after his father, perhaps passed away. We don't know what happened to Joseph. Then he comes back. There's a story of him, of him preaching and healing people. And he goes back to his own hometown to preach. Hear the word of God as it comes to us from the Gospel of Luke. And Jesus returned to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them, the scriptures you've just heard have been fulfilled this very day. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed how gracious, by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? And he said, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in your hometown like you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha. But the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him, forced him to the edge of a hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff but he passed right through them and went on his way. God had his understanding to this hearing of his word. They tried to kill him. This young man who grew up among them, they tried to do him in. He comes home, goes to the synagogue. He probably had his own seat if not his own parking place. <laughs> I watch you. <laughs> and, um, and it was as, as it had always been. It hadn't been that long, but Jesus went off to the wilderness after his baptism by John. And there he was tempted by Satan himself for 40 days and 40 nights. Jesus himself... He knew temptation. Apostle James says that we don't have one who can't understand our condition. He was tempted in all ways as we are, but he really knew temptation because he didn't cave. Those of us who are tempted and cave, well, we don't really know the the harsh realities of temptation. Jesus did. He came out. As a man who had been anointed at the river, tested by the devil himself, and then preached throughout Galilee. But what he didn't do, what he could have done, is go through town, wave his arms, and say, okay, everyone's now, everyone now is better. All you people with ailments, you're all clear now. Everyone with leprosy—it's all gone. If you've got some visual issues, you can't—you're you're nearsighted and you can't see very well. You're all better now. Having trouble hearing? Got tinnitus? You're all better. He didn't do that one at a time. Jesus met people face to face, one at a time, and engaged with them. Had a relationship with them, and his healing came forth from that relational touch that Jesus had with them. i got to say, a year ago, when we lost Mike Finkel, that was so tough for all of us. And I had the occasion to marry them both. And then, at this time last year, Got a phone call that Mike wanted me to come and see him. That's rare. Ordinarily, I just go to the hospital. But this man, this woman, the two of them whom I so deeply loved, and, and here we are having communion. They were a fixture for our communion time. And then a few days later, we lost him. An odd form of leukemia just came out of nowhere and grabbed him. Took this magnificent man down. Jesus was in relationship with his people. I'll say, having been a pastor of a very large church, actually several very large churches, this is far harder. Because I know you. I love you care. Think about you. Pray for you. This is hard. Jesus chose the hard way. Jesus was the pastor who chose the difficult path. He chose the path of going one-on-one, one at a time. And he could see it in their faces when he was there in the synagogue. He takes the, the scroll of Isaiah and reads it. And he could see what their expectations were. He could see that they were wanting him to do what he had done elsewhere. But because he was a hometown boy, certainly they were going to get more benefits from Jesus than these other people. He had to remind them of Elijah, the widow of Zarephath. He, he went out from the household of faith and went to this woman who was in modern-day Lebanon. And then the commander of the army of the king of Syria, Naaman, who had leprosy, Elisha. An outsider, once again, he gets healed of his leprosy, even though there are all kinds of people in Israel with leprosy. So Jesus reminds them, that's not the way he does it. That's not, not the way God does it. You see, what Jesus did is he told them no. He said no to them. Now, the last temptation Jesus passed through was Satan offering to give him everything, give him the whole world, over which Satan reigned. Jesus could have brought an end to evil right then and there in the temptation in the wilderness. Satan offered to hand it all over to him. Jesus could have brought an end to all the hardships and difficulties that that everyone goes through right then and there, but he said no to Satan. And that no to Satan was a way of saying yes to us. That no to Satan meant that our expectations might be unmet. When we pray to God, when we ask him for what we want, well, he may just say no. No. It may not be just the way we want it. In saying no to Satan, he was saying no to setting up a a grand utopia in the here and now. Bring it all together. As G.K. Chesterton reminds us, the, the best way to destroy a utopia is to establish it. And we know that from human history. And And instead, as we heard last week from Pastor Bill, God works things out. God redeems things as we put our trust and our faith in him. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer, just three weeks before his camp was liberated and soon before he was executed in Nazi Germany, said, I believe that God can and will generate good out of everything even out of the worst evil. For that, he needs people who allow that everything that happens fits into a pattern for good. So this is the hard way that Jesus chose. In saying no to those people, he was saying, yes, to a whole new way of understanding the nature of life and reality that we will undergo hardships and difficulties and we know this and our expectations are not at all what what God necessarily will do because we ask he will answer but it may not be the way we want him to answer So the people of his own hometown, so angry, so disappointed, they tried to kill him right at the beginning of his ministry. And there are times when we get so mad at God, too. It's not around for us to lay our hands on him. We get pretty mad at God also. There was a pastor who was leading a, a tour of people through some of the concentration camps of Germany. And one of the, one of the tour leaders, a, a woman who was a part of that, that whole entourage, was not a, not a believer. And after they came out of Auschwitz, she said to him, Pastor, for all the things that you are teaching, it sounds to me that if Adolf Hitler would have turned around and put his faith in in Jesus, then God would have saved him. Pastor said, yes, I believe so. He said, I want, she said, I want nothing to do with a God like that. See, the reality is, we have a much harder time with mercy than we do with judgment. Judgment's easy. We're experts at the sins of others, and we are so good at at parsing the lives of others. Of course, when it comes to ourselves, we want mercy. But when we find out that God is a, is merciful, as merciful as he is, we just have a very hard time with it. We want God to be harsh towards others as we would be. We want him to even the score. We we wonder if we want to have anything to do with a God who would let someone like Mao or Stalin or Hitler get away with what they've done and we have a hard time with all of that and we would take a God like that and throw him over the cliff so we we are met with a God who is tough hard to understand not because of judgment but because of mercy so How is God present with us? How is it that God allows us to go through the stuff we go through? So good to see Glenna here. She broke her pelvic bone, and here she is. And, you know, we have all, when we hear these stories, as we love each other, it, it breaks our hearts. We we can perhaps even feel the pain or anticipate what what it's like. And and we're always so glad when, when things come around. I was with a couple yesterday, Ralph and Patsy Bullington. Bless their heart, they have a contraption in their house that Ralph, who's 87, uses to hoist up his wife so she can be moved around. And so it is that the caretaker needs as much as the one being cared for. And and I see this relationship that we all have with one another and the care that exists between God's children. And perhaps therein we find some of the closure to this mystery. A scene in Ali Wiesel's Night shows a, a young boy, a seven year old boy, being hung on the gallows, again in Auschwitz. And as the rope, or as the gallows open and they all fall, there were two others on either side of this boy. Everyone can see the rope wiggling. And somebody cries out, where is God? Where is God now? As that little boy struggles between life and death. And someone else says, there he is on that gallows. Meaning, either God is dead or God suffers with us. God goes through it with us that there's nothing that we endure, nothing that we go through, nothing that we are afflicted with, that God doesn't actually experience with us. He said no to Satan, who said, I give it all to you. And he said yes to us, that we would embody Christ to one another when we go through those hard times and difficult times that's why we have our prayer list so that we embody Christ to one another it's not just church talk to call ourselves the body of Christ that's what we are we're the presence of Christ here and now Maureen Dowd after Sandy Hook said how are how we are with one another in suffering and dying, makes all the difference as to whether God's presence is felt or not, whether we are comforted or not. What I do know is that an unconditionally loving presence soothes broken hearts, binds up wounds, and renews us in life. So it is that we with one another embody God as we continue to live in a world that is beset with hardship and difficulty. Why would God entrust to a bunch of flawed human beings his work in the world? Except that in saying yes to us, He said no to a deep and profound evil that would unfold if, in fact, we had some kind of of ruler over all, as Satan has claimed for himself. So instead, as God's people, we we come together, we, we show comfort and care with one another. Jesus doesn't come in and just wave his arms and everyone's all better. Instead, he makes us aware of who is struggling. And he moves upon our hearts through the Spirit to reach out, to make a call, to, to make a visit. So a couple years before mom died, she was at, went to a checkup, and found a spot on her liver and they did a biopsy turns out it was a malignancy and i happened to be in town at the time and i went to bible study that mom used to go to at first presbyterian in spokane and i sat with those who were who knew her well loved her studied the word with her and i i told them what the doctor found. And, and one of the ladies there said, well, let's, let's pray for Ruby. And we did. We prayed together. Just a Bible study, just people just like you and me know. Nothing fancy, nothing out of the ordinary, just a Bible study. And we prayed together. I couldn't bring myself to say anything. But I was so grateful. And I just had tears on my cheeks when when somebody said amen. Now mom is gone. But when she when she went back to the doctor, they couldn't find it anymore. The biopsy, I don't know what happened, but I like to think that God used his children, the body of Christ, to bring healing and wholeness at such a time as that. And when when God does that, it's not something that makes us believe, as my dad wisely reminded me. It reinforces our faith. It gives us a sense that, yes, indeed, God is with us always, always. And we, with one another, embody the presence of Christ. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord Jesus. As we go to the sacrament, what we do is we break bread, which is broken body. We pour wine, which is spilt blood. Lord, it is not your choice to be all things to all people, but to be broken and shared that you might be with each one of us one at a time. And we thereby might know of your presence and love. Lord, open our hearts to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org if you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.